This is WCPO FM 1051 on your FM dial, Cincinnati, Ohio. WKRC, Cincinnati. This is the nation station. again, everyone, and welcome to the Cincy Shirts Podcast. It's episode number 40. Today on our show, we take a bit of a deep dive into WKRP in Cincinnati with longtime Cincinnati TV columnist John Keyswetter. Says it was a guy named Jerry Blum who was at the station in Atlanta, but it was a promotion he did earlier and got fired for in Texas, in which he was dropping turkeys, but they were dropping them off the back of a truck, not from a helicopter. The show gets a lot of attention this time of year because of the brilliant Turkeys Away episode, but uh, that sometimes overshadows the brilliance of the show overall, so we discuss that. We discuss kind of TV from that era in general as well, and there is some tea about uh, a star of Star Trek, The Next Generation. You'll want to stay tuned for that. And uh, be sure to listen for the promo code at the end of the episode. As always, you can use that to save 20% on your next Cincy Shirts or OldSchoolShirts.com order. And uh, that's for you folks joining us from around North America and around the world. So let's talk turkey and more about WKRP with John Keyswetter. Cincinnati, Ohio. Cincinnati, Ohio. I come from C-I-N-C-I-N-N-A-T-I, Cincinnati. CincyShirts.com in Cincinnati. All right, let's get into it. Yeah, our second repeat visitor, and for timely reasons. Yeah? Yeah, uh, Sam, our digital uh, content specialist, just threw out the idea, hey, do we have anyone that's next word on WKRP? Because Thanksgiving's coming and, you know, turkey drop. And I'm like, yes, we do have one. I will reach out to him. So joining us again is John Keyswetter. Thanks for being here. And it's going to be fun. I yeah. missed uh, I missed the first time you were in town because I or you were on the show because I was out of town. So I was excited that I could be here today for this one. Well, you missed a big snowstorm, as I recall. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Was, weather was dicey that day. Now, what's a what's your pin on your on your jacket there? It's a Mister Rogers trolley. Mister Rogers trolley, closest That's... thing to a saint that I've ever met in my entire life. Yeah. How, that could be another show. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, we can talk about WKRP, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, that episode specifically, but I, I've got all kinds of questions that I didn't get to ask the first okay. time around. Oh, sure. So I want to talk about just TV in general and like your, your, I mean, I don't know how much you guys covered on that in the last episode, but so you got to meet Mr. Rogers? I, I was able to spend a day with him in his studio in Pittsburgh. Wow. And in person, he was just like you'd expect. Yeah. He was the hardest person to interview because if you sat down next to him and said, Mr. Rogers, now do you write on a computer or do you write longhand? And you go, well, I do it longhand. But, John, how do you write? And every question <laughs> you'd ask, he'd turn around and, and, you know, he didn't want to make it about him. We, we did a – Michael Keating, our photographer back then, came with me. And we wanted to take a picture of Mr. Rolly, uh, Mr. Rogers near the trolley and the tracks, you know, in the land of make believe. And so we did it, and he called in two, like, production hands who had been guys that had been with him for, like, 15, 18 years to be in the picture with him, even though it was a picture that's going to run in Cincinnati, not in Pittsburgh, where yeah. his studio was. But he just wanted to share the spotlight. He, you know, he didn't want it to be about it. He had, he had no ego at all. And believe me, in mm-hmm. the TV biz, I've run into plenty and plenty of people with huge egos. That, no ego at all. 
Was there anybody else you met that surprised you that you expect? Maybe he wasn't a surprise because you probably, if you if you liked him on his program, you went into it thinking he would be that guy. But is there someone that you were like, oh, this is going to be terrible, and ended up surprising you that they were nice, or, or the opposite? I was thinking that the one surprise was Gregory Peck. Yeah, now, Gregory Peck, the A Team. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, that's what I know him from. <laughs> the, the Gregory Peck, you know, this respected actor. And, and in the late 80s, Showtime or HBO had done a um, documentary about, you know, the life of Gregory Peck and all of his great films. And there was a press party out there, and we got up there kind of early, and we looked down by the pool, and standing off to the side was Gregory Peck and his daughter, and nobody else. And we're thinking, you know, what do we got to lose? So either he's extremely shy, or he didn't want to be bothered. So uh, me and two other TV critics went up and tried to engage him in conversation, and we found out that, yeah, he was just an, a regular normal guy, and he was just kind of off in the corner because he didn't know anybody there. And he was just great just standing around talking to him. I just That was a surprise. I said A-team. I was thinking George, George Pippard. <laughs> oh, wait, was he? I was like, hold on a second. <laughs> I've got that way wrong. I don't know why I, I was I got that mixed up that way. I mean, I'm, to, I'm thinking oh, of you, To Kill a Mockingbird, Gregory. Yes, exactly. There you go. Now okay. you're talking. Yes, yeah. All right. There we go. Well, that's embarrassing. I'm glad I caught that now. Yeah. Can you imagine the comments? Thinking, well, I, Who is he, this guy? Do you have like a bit like their commander or something <laughs> yeah. in a couple episodes? I'm th- <laughs> Oh, I'm such an idiot. <laughs> oh, man. I just did the stuff I make fun of my wife and sister for doing. <laughs> That's not that guy. <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, you're wearing a WVXU hat, and you've got the Mr. Rogers pin. Do you like network television at all, or is it just... No, no. A- <laughs> what is, what, when I left the Enquirer, uh, I was able to hook up with WVXU and basically do the same media reporting that I did for the paper and online. Online for WVXU. So it's been a wonderful marriage. I've been able to keep up to do what I love to do. Yeah. And just a couple of months ago in September, on the 40th anniversary of the first KRP, I put up 40 reasons we love KRP and have that freedom. To, I mean, I would have done it for the paper, but they, you know, did away with their feature section and, and most of the, you know, many other specialties. So it, I've been blessed. I can do it. I can do it from home mostly, although later today I'm headed in to do an interview I, I usually record an interview probably every two weeks, every three weeks, and then it'll run on the Sunday night A and E show um, around Cincinnati. So mm-hmm. it's been a, it's been a fun playground. So were you? Uh, we went over your career last time, and so I'm thinking when KRP premiered, you were already writing about TV at the. No, I, I was I was on the I was uh, a suburban reporter. Oh, still I was, okay. I was still in news. I didn't. I switched to features in '82, which would have been right as it was ending. But I was the oh. features editor. I was over the TV critic and about 30 people. And and that's back when we did nine sections a, a week and like 30 people. And I, and where I was, I was about 30 years old, and I was really close to getting that phone call that says, congratulations from Gannett saying, you're going to be managing editor in Coffeyville, Kansas, <laughs> or in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania. Uh. <laughs> and my TV critic at the time, uh, Tom Brickmiller, quit, and I had a as a management, I was had to replace him. I thought, God, this sounds like a lot of fun. I mean, to travel, to to meet not only the stars but the writers, the producers, the executives. I love sports, so like you know, it could be a day with Marty and Joe. It could be watching Bob Trumpy doing NFL football games for NBC. And I thought this is just way too much fun. So I and in fact. It, when I was a manager, the only thing I was writing was performance reviews. Boy, that's exciting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
so it it, it uh, you know I, I pitched myself to to let me become the TV critic in '85, and and I had no regrets at all, not not at all. What's your favorite show of all time? It changes from time to time. I mean, sometimes you know in the I would have said ER in the early in the early nineties. Uh, in the late eighties, I might have said Night Court just because it was no. so much goofy fun. Yeah. Oh man! Um, and, and I'll still yeah. record a Night Court or two to to have. Could be Simpsons. Right now, I I, I really think the Big Bang show, uh, the Big Bang Theory, is is probably the best sitcom on broadcast television. Really, I'm fascinated by that. People love to hate that show. I just can't. <laughs> I can't get into it. I don't know it's, if it's just that Chuck Lorre style you know that i saw with two and a half men and mm. you know it's just like uh you know it's got that weird cadence to it where nobody ever stumbles on a word and everybody's got the perfect line you know but but it's it's funny like you see styles of a show and you're like i know who made that show you know the way you could see like an aaron sorkin show or you know amy sherwin paladino or something you know hey, to me Kevin it's Smith to me movie. as a critic it was did, you know, can I see where it's coming? I mean, there's so many times that, that when I look at a, a, a new show for the fall and said, this is not going to, this is one joke that they've, uh, that they had several different takes on in 22 minutes. But then with the, with the Seinfeld, with, um, I'd say with Murphy Brown, with, um, and with Big Bang, you don't know how they're going to all tie it up at the end. I, I, I'm surprised. And as long as I can be surprised and not, predict where it's coming from that i'm entertained yeah i mean i feel like that's the reason why i love you know uh walking dead or game of thrones because they've set the precedent that no matter how much the character is like there's a chance that they may not be there at the end of it and that creates you know the tension and the suspense that a lot of shows i feel lack where you're you, you know they're not going to kill off a star. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. My wife watches Hallmark movies, and I sit there, <laughs> and I'm just like, I. not only do I know already before I see it how it's going to end up, I can literally guess the line that they're going to say. It's my, so, friend, so, my uh, daughter and my mother-in-law do the exact same thing, They but they love it. It's like a game for them. It's a challenge. <laughs> There's it's For like 30-some years, all the years of the Inquirer, I always did this massive holiday TV list. Yeah. I still do it, but it's... It'll be like a 20-page PDF that'll be posted at WVFU.org. And in it, I had to write the synopsis for 22 Hallmark movie, new movies this year. And it's they're all the same. And you just wrote one and <laughs> copied and pasted 21 S- Single businesswoman comes back home to yes. solve some sort of problem and meets her old boyfriend or a single dad and finds true love. Yep. I need... Go ahead, PF. I want to. I got to look up exactly how I phrase it, but it's so similar, which tells you that it's it's obvious to more than just me. Oh yeah, yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> how formulaic my, that my all youngest is. is fourteen, and my my uh, mother in law is eighty two, and yeah, they. <laughs> no, I, I I get it. I I I don't watch them, but my yeah. wife watches every one, and and I can name several other people who do, and they and yet to me, as a formula, they're all the same. Yep. Yeah. And Hallmark starts running them the last weekend in in October, and and they they do decent ratings and, and make a lot of money off of it. So yeah, and you know what? And this is just me being dumb husband speak, but I feel like the the, the detriment of those movies is that it creates unrealistic expectations yes. <laughs> for me as a husband. <laughs> 
Like, this isn't real. Yeah. I haven't thought of that. Uh, you know, it's, what you really need is is somebody of the Coen Brothers ilk or the Saturday Night Live writers to put together the the anti-Hallmark yes. uh, Christmas movie. Maybe, maybe it's already been done with the... With the Griswolds or something, you know, <laughs> National Lampoon Vacation, yeah. but... Uh, yeah, maybe just a little dose of reality. Small business owner doesn't knock off professional chef uh, <laughs> in this one like in every other one. Yep. And, and the and the girl can't stand the guy when she hooks up back up with him again. <laughs> and leaves She time. remembers why <laughs> yeah. they broke up in the first place. That's a loser. <laughs> and goes back to her much better life <laughs> in the bigger city. That's hilarious. What what are your favorite shows now? What are you watching right now? Uh, the Daily Show. And, Still, and, yeah, uh, yep. And um, that's a testament to the writers. I mean, that the 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 way that they hire the writers there, you know, you, you because Kilborn was great, yeah. John Stewart yep. was great, and, and you could say the same for The Simpsons. Although I'll admit I've been in and out of it, but anytime I tune it in, there's you know the the one that I remember from last season was. It was called 22 and 30, and it was a spoof of the ESPN 30-minute documentaries, yeah. 30 wow. for 30. And it was, it was just, I mean, they, they nailed all this stuff. Hmm. Now comes the, the announcer voice, the real deep announcer voice to tell you about what happened in the past. <laughs> just It was just, it was wonderful. Yeah, Simpsons, wasn't there, I thought maybe it was an urban legend, but I always thought that I heard that the Simpsons, you, if you were a writer, you couldn't work on there more than like six or seven years. Like, like they always refresh the writers. I think it's worked out that way. It's worked people. out that way. Yeah. And two, because you know when they when they did, I'm trying to think what it was. It was. Um, it might have been when Borgman was zits, and there was talk of zits being done as a TV movie or series. Really, but it was going to be done live action. And I told Jim, I said, you know, it's not your your worry because you've signed off the rights, but but the fact that Bart Simpson is still ten years old, thirty years later, twenty five years later, yeah, yeah, that's right. the magic of that yeah, show. Yeah. That that the that the characters never age, and you yeah. can kill them off and they come back. Family guy, yeah, yeah, same yeah, way, yeah, yeah, exactly. And trying to make it live action, you know, it loses all the magic, uh, the suspended disbelief that you can do with. With the Simpsons, one man's opinion. I feel like your opinion means something. Though. That's <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> you've made a career in making yeah. your opinion mean something. Is there a show that that you revisited later on that you didn't like the first go around, or you didn't maybe <laughs> Full uh, House? Really, <laughs> Full House. And, and the only reason because uh, it was what I would call silly, stupid sitcom stuff. Yeah. If you ever watched the pilot, the Full House, and this became, I'm not going to say a mega hit, but it was a cult hit. It was a big hit. It was John Stamos's character and the other guy, the single, not, not, uh, Dave Couillet. Dave Couillet changed the diaper on a baby and don't know what to do with a poopy diaper. So what do you do on a sitcom with it? Language, poopy that's, John. It's <laughs> a, a family show. <laughs> they sealed it in Tupperware. I mean, you couldn't get something much more stupid than that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you wrap it up and you put it in the in the garbage. Yeah. You know what? The, what what don't people know about what to do with? So I just at that point I I wanted to stop watching and and yet it took off as this big huge hit. I, actually, the show that that I if I could write a sitcom, it would be about the the Olsen twins who played one character. 
Yeah. And it would yeah. be like them at age 22, 23, each trying to carve out a career and doing nothing but dissing the other one because they talked about who really had more talent as this, <laughs> like a good as this, young, as yeah. this young kid. Yeah. 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 And, and just. That's pretty yeah. common. The Spruce Brothers, same way. Well, wasn't there a show that there was actually three? Three, three kids used for the same child? Possibly. I, I, that, that I don't know. I mean, it, it, it could. I mean, because you know, there's all these rules about if you got young kids on a set, how long they got to be on, and how long you know they can be on the set, and how long, what kind of care and 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 uh, oversight you've got to have. So you can get into. I'm the still looking for my hallmark. For the, uh, so the so the subject at hand. Well, what, we're going to bounce back out of it at sure. times because I have so many things. Uh, I absolutely, talk about. yeah. Uh, well, one thing I I popped into my head yesterday is that you actually worked in the Osgood R. Flim building. That's true. Yeah, that's true. I, uh, and and when they redid it as a um, hotel, you know, so the Inquirer moved out in '92. That was the you know the shot from the. The iconic shot at the end of the open. Yeah. Where they'd shoot from Fountain Square up to this. And, and it's now a hotel. And they've kind of isolated where they think that room would have been. And they uh-huh. were thinking of calling it, dubbing it the KRP studio room or something uh, of all the bedrooms that are, oh, that are that. in the. Uh, yeah. 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 We, we worked in it. Why they picked that building, I don't know. But, it, you know, I, and I never, I didn't make it to the old KRP, but I actually was on set for the new KRP, the short-lived oh, yeah, revival in, uh, in the 80s. 91 and 92, I think. I, think. I was in college, I think, when that was on. Well, maybe it was 90. I thought I it was 91 to 93. It, the MTM had, had that, what the deal was, they resyndicated WKRP, and then they ran this new show on the weekend, so that would give up. Oh, yeah, okay. But uh, it wasn't very good. But Bill Dial, Bill Dial, who was actually one of the writers on the Turkey Drop yes. and was the story editor for most of the show, um, was the executive producer on the on the revival, whatever you want to call it, the new KRP. And what's interesting too about this show is that, in fact, Rich Wahlberg was in here earlier. We kind of kind of talked about the same thing. Is that it, it for people here? There's a connection because you know the city is in the name of the show. For me, growing up in Cleveland, it could have taken place anywhere. It was a, r- a show about a radio station. It was it really drew me to it. I think you know, people around the country, when people in my Facebook feed are posting about it, it's very few people from here. It's people from Pittsburgh, Boston. People live in California. I mean, people know the show, not just you know. And I would say there's there was two audiences to it. There was those that loved the sitcom and loved the workplace comedy of a radio station, and there was those who loved the music. Yeah. And I really learned that when the first a DVD release came out without any of the music. Yep. And and the 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 people who were fans of the words, it was okay with them. But the people who were fans of the music were just really infuriated that that all the great music was stripped out. And they only released the first season. This was yeah. 20th Century Fox. Yeah, and they did that. And then they came, Shout Factory came back about what 7 years later. I think the one was in 07 or 08 and the other one was in 2014 at the Shop Factory, and they got like a hundred different artists, but they didn't get them all, and they didn't get all the songs. Yeah, they said about 85 percent, I think. And, and it's it's evident in the uh, in the turkeys episode when yes, the Pink Floyd, the Pink yes, Floyd, yes. dogs, <laughs> exactly. Don't touch that. Uh, I'm sorry, I was dead. Uh, uh, Grip 
ripping music, huh? Yeah, that's that's good, all right. What's the name of that orchestra? Pink Floyd. Who was that? Pink Floyd? <laughs> do I hear dogs barking on that thing? I do. So good. Yeah, that was the thing that, because uh, that's one of the funniest scenes in the, in the, and that's the thing too about that, everybody, we even have a shirt that says, as God is my witness, I thought turkeys could fly. And I interviewed Gordon Jump years ago when they were going to have, um, they were re-releasing it to TV land. So they, the cast was made available for, to do interviews. Right. And I said, well, you know, you've uttered the greatest line in sitcom history, arguably. And he goes, well, that was 22 minutes of great writing, setting that sucker up. Yeah. And he's exactly right. That whole episode is full of great jokes, not just that one. Particularly Les's reaction when he when he realizes what's going on, and they're showing them in the studio reacting to oh, Les. Oh, 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 yeah, and you know, and the, the early, I mean, it's set up because Gordon, the big guy's character, Gordon Jump's character, the big guy, yeah. doesn't have, doesn't feel like he's doing anything to contribute to the station, right? And he doesn't have anything to do. And at one point, he goes into Bailey and says, "What are you doing?" He says, "Oh, I'm working on a promotion." He says. She goes, I, I don't think it'd help. Yeah, oh, yeah, I've done many promotions. She says, well, what's it about? He says, and she goes, well, I don't know whether we should give away Boston T-shirts or Foreigner. And Carlson looks at him right away and says, Boston, the foreign stuff shrinks. <laughs> <laughs> that's great writing. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly, yeah. And what's even weirder about that is that that's only the seventh episode of that show. And, and Two that, episodes earlier, it's Scum of the Earth. Which is just as genius. If you're any kind of a music fan, it, you you have to watch Scum of the Earth. Well, Scum of the Earth is where they the, they sponsor this band, a punk rock band, punk rock band, Scum of the Earth. Right? right. So so the backstory is is that they were shooting it at some motel or hotel in in the L.A. area, and they had this big banner, "Welcome Scum," <laughs> and apparently the the CBS board or the CBS affiliates were meeting there, <laughs> and they come in and they see this big sign that says "Welcome Scum." <laughs> For the for the CBS affiliate <laughs> station manager <laughs> and, and the guy that plays the uh, the leader of Scum of the Earth the band is Michael DeBars who people know probably know mostly as Murdoch from uh, MacGyver I would imagine that's who he's mostly known as and he was one of the main characters in the revival yeah oh, that's right that's right he was yeah. one of the DJs of the morning team Murdoch but, on MacGyver who's that the 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 villain. So he was because uh, Michael DeBars was a musician before that, and that's how he got got the gig. And so he said Murdoch, and I went back to A Team again. And there you got go. All <laughs> <laughs> well, I interviewed J. Elvis Weinstein, uh, and he um, wrote a he did a documentary about Michael DeBars, and I brought that up that episode, and he told me a neat story. When they did the episode Scum of the Earth, DeBars came in to do it, and they were going to do this the stock you know safety pin through the nose and all that stuff, and. DeBar said, no, 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 that's going to look stupid. We just do something completely different. Put them in suits. And then they said, we're not a punk rock group. We're different. We're hoodlum rock. So they got out of all of that. So it didn't look ridiculous that these guys in their close to their 30s were in this rock band. It made perfect sense. They were in this rock band to get girls. And they just did all this crazy stuff. And, it, you know, another one is just chock full of great jokes. And the interesting thing was was that, you know, it wasn't based in Cincinnati. I mean, Hugh... Hugh um, Hugh Wilson, who came up with the idea, was in Atlanta. Yeah. And it was some of the stories he was hearing about Atlanta radio stations. I mean, they shot a lot of B-roll here and exteriors. But but although the Dr. Johnny Fever character was based on uh, Crazy Bobby Harper, who was a WSAI DJ in the early 60s, a little bit, I guess, around Dusty Rhodes time. And ended up in Atlanta. And it was some of the Crazy Bobby Harper stuff down there that 
kind of inspired Dr. Johnny Fever was, as Hugh Wilson was writing this thing. But the other thing, you know, you, we had Gary Sandy from Dayton, yep. who still lives around here, and Gordon Jump from Dayton. So you had this a little bit of a Midwest sensibility. In fact, on the Who episode one, um, Gordon Jump had told me that as they were trying to wrap it up, and they really did, you know, it ends with them looking out the window, and you can see the candle lights, which mm-hmm. was the, the vigil on Fountain Square. And um, Gordon Jump told me that the, the writers were mystified how to end that and what to do with it. And they asked Jump, and Jump ad, ad-libbed something that became the script about, we're good people here, we're going to do something. But apparently it fell to Jump from being a Midwesterner to to provide that last quote to sum it up, to, to bring it home at the end. So, Is it true Channel 9 refused to run that episode? When they were the CBS affiliate, I'd heard that somewhere. I I, I, I don't believe that. I, okay. I, I I was here. I wasn't covering it at the time, but I mean that was a big that was a big deal when they you know because when they said they were going to do it, you know how was a sitcom going to do something on a serious topic like this? But they pulled it off. It's, it's it it too is one of my favorite episodes. Again, I was telling Josh at lunch. There's, they have like ninety. They're quite just short of a hundred episodes. Yeah, it's like ninety four seasons. Yeah, not I mean, a not a dud in the lot. I would be. I'm hard pressed to find an episode where I'd be like, eh, I skip that one. Even even uh, Doctor Johnny Fever doing disco. But even that one is yeah, yeah. is enduring in yeah. a way because you know it's because that's part of who he was. That was part of his character. He was anti disco DJ Johnny Fever. And, and you know, and again about the whole music aspect of it, the the uh, when Les goes on a date with with Jennifer, yeah, uh, Lonnie Anderson, and he gets a wig and he pulls on the wig to to uh, hot blooded, yeah, <laughs> and you know that music wasn't there in in the sanitized set from from Twentieth Century Fox. So what's your Favorite part of of the uh, of the turkey drop? Oh, what as I've described before, when they're in the booth and I, they shot this brilliantly, they you don't actually see it's theater of the imagination. It's it's uh, I believe Bailey Venus, of course Johnny and um, Andy. and Andy, Andy are in the control booth waiting, and then it starts with Les reading the banner, and it says. Uh... The copter seems to be circling the parking area now. I guess it's looking for a place to land. No, something just came out of the back of the helicopter. It's uh, a dark object. Uh, Perhaps a skydiver plumbing to to the earth from only 2,000 feet in the air. Third. No parachutes yet. I think that's funnier than the final line, to be honest, because it's just such a shock. They're falling to the ground like sacks of wet soup. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I always thought that, the, like you said, the theater of the mind, where you don't actually, you never see yeah. a turkey or like nope. the chaos yeah. behind no, the last one he's out there. It's just, you just, yeah. Even at the end, when Les comes in and he's all yeah. messed up, and, and he said, it said it was too, too ugly to describe, and then he <laughs> said that the turkeys almost turned on him and, <laughs> and attacked. And, yeah. 
the shopkeeper. I, I wrote a, a blog post, seven things you might not know about the Turkey draw about WKRP. And I found out in my research, Michael Fairman, who plays the shopkeep owner, was Richard Saunders' writing partner. And they wrote five episodes of the show together, not Turkey Drop, um, but five they, other episodes. They wrote a date with Jennifer. Yeah. Oh, that, I, that was one of the five. And they also wrote the, the only one that was actually shot here at all. The, the airplane. airplane show. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. Yep. Do you know much about that one? Like where it was, I think it was filmed in Mason maybe? Or? I, I think because it, it seemed to me that for that, that some reason that that stunt plane had something to do with Kings Island. And a, and a lot of it was filmed up, up in that area. And at the same time, there was one of the bank commercials that had a biplane that I think actually flew under the suspension bridge, if my mind is correct. Hmm. The other piece of trivia is that, you know, in, in the pilot, Les Nesman got hurt and he's got a Band-Aid on. Yeah. So, like, in every episode, he's got a bandage. And I actually had to watch the turkey drop, like, three times before I finally saw it. After the big guy has got this great idea and he's got Les and Herb with him in, in the office... That's when Jennifer comes in and he asks for coffee. And he, she, no, I don't do coffee. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I don't answer the phone. Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't uh, take dictation. Yeah. And, and so she leaves and Andy's trying to get him to spill the beans on what they're going to do. But if you look at Les on his left wrist, he's got it taped up. Ah. And he's got a bandage over his, between his thumb and forefinger. But I had to look at it for a while. But because he had, there was some sort of minor accident that he had to have a bandaid. Then they decided, that he would he it. would wear a bandage yeah. every in a different part of his body all ninety eight episodes. So, and the the pilot too is if you go back and watch shows of that era and really any show, pilot never really that good. Friends, Taxis is okay, Mash is okay. It's just really a rehash of part of the movie. Yeah. But man, WKRP hits the ground running. <laughs> it's it's crazy. I I just wonder how they pulled that off. I mean, they I guess they lucked out getting the cast they got. Yeah, I, I I was always heard that, that Gary Sandy might have been one of the last they cast. It was a perfect cast, you know. You know, I I have to look it up, but I'm going to imagine that that I don't think Lonnie Anderson had done much before that, you know. And she, certainly, she was a breakout star for the for that as well as um, I, I, I've interviewed Gary Sandy many times over the years. And for a while, he was when he was here doing something at the uh, Ensemble Theater. It was like you know, ask me anything, but yeah. it's like he always kept. Carapy at kind of an arm's length that, uh, you know, he th- saw himself as a great Broadway actor. And yet he was, from that, he was typecast into things that he, I, I think if you'd, if you'd have him in here, he'd probably say uh, he, he thought his career would would have been different. I, I think he's embraced it more now, but, but happens, for a while, yeah. but he was not one to embrace it. And, and I don't know, the, the other one, there was an, a great reunion about two years ago at the at the uh, ho- out in Hollywood, uh, and they talked about the, the the casting, and they talked about everything. And that's where Howard Hessman and uh, Tim Reed said that they were allowed to pick their own music. That this great, a lot of this great rock and roll they were hearing is stuff that they picked. And sometimes they were breaking records. I mean, br- you know, breaking a new record, getting it on the air before it was getting a lot of airplay because it was something they liked and they knew the artist or they knew the sound and, and whatever. So I thought, you know, the, the, the whole music side to this can't be discounted either. It's, it's, it was just a, a perfect happenstance of all the right things coming together. And apparently, you know, they, NBC, CBS made the decision to cancel it. They kept flow, but they canceled a bunch yeah. of sitcoms <laughs> after four seasons. Yes. And then it was on, you know, in repeats all the way into the 
middle of September when the season starts, but it was beating Monday Night Football, but they'd already canceled it. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, it really caught on way too late, and uh, it was already gone when, uh, you know, when they really saw its best numbers against Monday Night Football in September of uh, 82. Because everybody had gone off to, not everybody, but I think Howard Hesman had gone off to one day at a time of all places, and they people had signed other contracts, so they were... Yeah, he did that, and then he did Head of the Class. Yeah. And, uh, Tim Reed did a bunch of other snoops, and and uh, was he on Simon and Simon? He did a bunch of uh, different – oh, he did Frank's Place, another oh, great right. show yeah. that, that that with Hugh Wilson that didn't last long. And uh, Lonnie Anderson did uh, a couple of – one was called Easy Money, and I forget the other one. That, that she But she moved on to one really quickly, so she wasn't available for a fifth season. Yeah. And then um, – and Mary Burt Reynolds. I need to. I really need to take time to go back and watch the show now because I feel like I would have an appreciation for the the writing. And Absolutely. The, yeah. You know. I mean, even even more recent shows like Thirty Rock was one that when it was on, I just I don't know if I never gave it really a, a chance to like it, and then I had heard so many people talk about it, and I'd seen. I was like, every time, everything I've seen of this is good. I should just start from the beginning and watch it, and ended up being maybe my favorite sitcom of all time. And I'm every time I watch it, I find new jokes hidden in the writing. Yeah, I mean, you could just watch an episode of KRP, just to look at the background to see the maps, the pennants, the posters, all the Cincinnati stuff that was was sent in. I would, yeah. um, the the guy who was marketing director Roger Rule of the Reds, later marketing director for the uh, Chamber of Commerce. Remembers getting a call from this guy, you know, a guy named uh, Gary Sandy, who's got some TV show about Cincinnati. <laughs> they needed some Cincinnati red stuff, so they sent him some stuff, and they didn't think much about it. And then on the fall, there, there it is, and fall season, and with all their stuff. But the one thing that makes it hard to watch today is it was on videotape. Yeah, they didn't film. I mean, you look at a Cheers today because it was on film. It's pristine. It Taxi. just glows. Yeah. Taxi. But this one, they did it on videotape, and it looks muddy. It looks soft. It looks of the time, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's, the, that's the, the one mistake that they made with KRP, and is not doing it on film, instead doing it on a videotape, because it doesn't hold in the look of it. Not the, the jokes, not the sound, not the right. music, but uh, it just looks fuzzy. It's weird how that is, because yeah, we were just discussing before you came in, you mentioned something about Andy Griffith. I'm like, yeah. that's a show that holds up. It's even older. But shot on film, even though it's black film. and white, it still really holds up. The same with Dick Van Dyke and Lucy and all those great ones that were done on film. And, and, it, and it, they hold up so much better than, than Karen It's like videotape, is it cheaper to do back then? Because like, it I, seems I'm like sure half the sitcoms were film and half were on videotape. I'm sure it was was cheaper. I think it was Family Ties on... on uh, that was videotape. On videotape, too. Yeah. Uh, just not, it's just not as sharp. But the... But the uh, the, the early episodes, you know, they just came out of the box so strong. You know, you, the um, Scum of the Earth, the one where where um, Les was thinking of suicide. And he's oh, yeah. Out, Les on a ledge. Yeah. And then you've got this one, Turkey's being the seventh. I mean, boom, boom, boom. It's just amazing. The, and then later on, I think the first season was the, uh, was the on-air drinking test. Oh yeah, well, with a, <laughs> the Highway Patrol gives a, gives t- Tim Reed Venus Flytrap and Doctor Johnny Fever 
a drinking test. And the more Dr. Johnny drinks, the more sober. The faster he gets. Yeah, the faster yeah, the and, yeah. and, and smarter he becomes. <laughs> I feel like I remember that episode. Yeah. It's so weird. Like little little clips and images will go, oh, yeah, I do remember that. But I need to, I need to watch it now Hebrew with the appreciation yeah. for comedic writing that I think I've developed in doing stand-up for so long. Well, you know, the, we talked about Michael Fairman have, yeah. having written some of these and Bill Dial, but it was directed by Michael Zinberg, who uh, is a he was there and it, with MTM doing Bob Newhart and Mary Tyler Moore show and Tony Randall. He was only like thirty four, but since then, he did uh, everything from like the Commish to Everybody Loves Raymond, The Practice, Gilmore Girls, uh, well, my wife Rizzoli and Isles, <laughs> right, uh, The Good Wife. NCIS. I mean, he's still. I, I looked him up. He's still at seventy four this year. Has directed NCIS and NCIS uh, LA. So he's still doing it. But I mean, he was a very well respected director. But again, it was he was like um, like Bill Dial and others. And you know, the mid thirties when they're doing this, don't well, know what they don't know. I remember Hugh Wilson. You know, when he got the job at MTM, he felt it was his duty to sneak all his friends in from uh, Atlanta, and Bill Dial was one of them. So. Uh, I guess with a small production company like that, you could probably still do that. Well, and the one thing I've never, I've never seen a definitive answer on where or what the original Turkey Drop promotion yes. was. Yeah, yeah. Because there's two stories. There's two stories. One that says it was done in Atlanta. Yep. And and in a interview I saw just a couple of months ago with Hugh Wilson, with the the Emmys people, the Academy of Motion Picture uh, uh, Television. Arts and Sciences, says it was a guy named Jerry Blum who was at the station in Atlanta, but it was a promotion he did earlier and got fired for in Texas, Aha. Uh-huh. in which he was dropping turkeys, but they were dropping them off the back of a truck, Yes, not from a helicopter. Yeah. But I've seen it was done by a station in Atlanta from a helicopter, it was done by a truck in Atlanta, so, and... Uh, Hugh Wilson's the way that he said he told me that he'd been fired. Being Jerry Blum, he told me he'd been fired from a Texas station for throwing turkeys out of a helicopter. So even Hugh Wilson says helicopter. Yeah. So I said to him, Jerry, you just won me an Emmy. That's really <laughs> funny. That's hilarious, and that's how we base the story. But late in life, uh, Hugh Wilson, the creator, remembered it as tossed out of a helicopter. But most of the reports I've seen or has truck. been yeah. tossed off a back of a truck. They still couldn't fly. Still. <laughs> well, Bill, well, Bill, well, Bill Dial said that it was completely made up. It wasn't based on anything at all. And someone brought that up on Gary's show one time, uh, Gary Burbank's show. And Gary said, no, no, I know the guy that did it in Texas. And it's based on a true story. It, so it's it's out there in Radio Land lore, I guess. And uh, it only won one Emmy. In its entire run? In its entire run. It was nominated for 10. Wow. Including three times in four years for Outstanding Comedy Series, and it won once for videotape editing in 1981 for a guy named Andy Ackerman, who, a oh. name that I recognize, I think, yeah. from the Seinfeld show. Oh, yeah. I think he was, Ackerman was one of the directors on uh, on Seinfeld. I wonder what beat it. I don't know. That's hard to, I, I mean, I guess Cheers was on there. You'd had Cheers, you'd had Mary Tyler Moore, you'd had Newhart. Yeah. Um, Trying to think of the golden age of sitcoms that would have Mash been was from still on seventy eight to eighty two. Yeah, yeah. So I guess so. On. I guess yeah. it had some pretty strong competition. Well, you know, and and KRP because CBS had a set lineup with what was it? Newhart, MTM, Mash, something else. Uh, what was it ten o'clock? Carol Burnett at ten o'clock on Saturday night. So 
you know, they oh uh, yeah, uh, KRP bounced around. You know, it was Monday night, it was Monday mm-hmm. eight, it was Monday at nine thirty, then it was Tuesday to Thursday. It just that's hilarious. Bounced all over the time. You know, think that you the, the, a lot of shows go to Saturday nights to to die now. You know what I mean? They're, yeah, that was that was the big night. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, I mean it's now the throwaway <clears> night. You know. NBC runs a two-hour repeat of, uh, or an hour repeat of Saturday Night Live, and CBS replays crime dramas. And yeah, I remember the summer of '78. I was 12 years old. I saw the promos coming for WKRP in Cincinnati, and I was furious. And my brother, like he's five years older than me, he's like, "Why, why are you so mad?" And I go, "Oh, because it's they're making fun of Ohio, hmm. and, there's a, and it's making it look stupid." And he goes, "Well, just watch it and see what you think." And of course, you know, first episode, I'm like, "Oh my god, this is incredible." <laughs> When the, when the DV the first DVD release was I don't going to guess it was oh six or oh seven, and I don't I, I asked people to write me at the Enquirer and tell me about their affair with their love affair for and, and a woman who grew up in Stockholm said she came here because she saw the fountain in the opening of the show and that's she moved here <laughs> as like a college student or shortly after college because because it was such an iconic thing that she just had to be here. It, it's touched as you you know it's it's touched people yeah, around and, the world and weirdly it's it's associated with like you said even though it's not really about the city it's about a radio station uh, when I worked at the airport people would constantly ask do you have any WKRP t-shirts you know and we didn't because we didn't get them the, I remember the uh, what's it called the Hello Shop used to be in Karoo Tower mm-hmm. they had yeah, them yeah. but yeah but people would always people knew the city from from the show even though it wasn't. And when they'd be out in, you know, when when I'd be out in other cities, they say, "Oh, KRP." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's funny. Same thing for me. How uh, how many people I talk to when I'm on the road, and I tell them I'm from Cincinnati, and they ask if WKRP was a real station, and it's a, it's hilarious. It's almost comical, you know. Didn't one of the stations sue when the show debuted? Here, no, like, there was concern about KRC. Yeah, but then then on KRC AM, then instead, then took the jingle, redid the recut one letter of the of the you know. So it's we're on the, on the air. We're living on the air in WKRC, and uh, to my knowledge, the st- the show didn't complain, and KRC then didn't, didn't complain. So I wonder how much of that stuff you have to really think think about if you're creating a show that it can't be too much. Like something that actually exists for that type of fear, or if that was even a thing back then. It was an eye opener to me the first time I heard Hugh Wilson explain that he picked Cincinnati because of WKRP, which to him stood for crap. Yeah. And then he needed something that would kind of rhyme with WKRP, and he came up with Cincinnati. So it was in that way almost random that it was here because it it was alliterative. Yeah, it could have really been WKRP in Indianapolis yeah. for, for anybody I, I feel like I do remember the seeing something about the reunion. Was, you said it was last year, a couple of years ago? It was two years ago. It was at the Paley Institute out in L.A., and it was online. And, and I watched it online, and it was slow as hell because so many people were, were watching it at the time. And it was about three months ahead of when the Shout Factory uh, full four-season DVD came out. And uh, when I finally got the set that I – Sat down and, and spot checked as many episodes as I could to see how much of the real music was in it and how much was not, and that's it. It worked out to about 85 percent. There's still some that didn't make it. So who's still around from the main cast? We lost Gordon Jump, uh, but I think everybody else is still with us. I think everybody. In fact, in 
Well, he will. In, in, in September, there was a reunion at a um, at a pop culture TV autograph hound weekend kind of thing in Baltimore. Maybe that's what and, I was and, thinking. And, I and Hessman, uh, Lonnie Anderson, and was it Bailey? I guess Bailey. I don't yep. think it was Tim Reed. I think it was those three. And it was the first time those three that I'd – it's the first time I've ever known them to do – anybody from Carapy to do it as a group. You know, my idea for years was – and you should lay, lean into Rich Wahlberg on this – is get get Lonnie Anderson or, or and Howard Hessman in here to do the chicken dance. Oh, yeah. Bring them to – You know, bring them to – you know, and, and then you could have them come to the Cincinnati Comic Con. At the, you know, if it's the same weekend, you could have a duel kind of thing. And, yeah, it's not far off if yeah. it's not the same weekend. They're not very far apart. Yeah. Now. But, I mean, often it's the same weekend. Yeah. But, but you know, this far out ahead, I, I, you know, I, that would be a great idea to, to have Absolutely. some of those. The only person I had the, – the Paley Center reunion from, 04, from 14 – um, Richard San- Sanders was in there. I, I haven't seen Les Nessman, uh, and I, I don't know how he's doing or what. You know, he used to, he'd come through here to Force Fair Mall to Belterra. He would do a thing at Thanksgiving promotions for a lot of radio stations. Yeah, they drop ping pong balls or drop some sort of stuffed turkey, s- s- little 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 stuffed turkeys or 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 um, some kind of thing that that would be a drop over a, a mall area as a promotion. I haven't seen him publicly. <laughs> the, the the one that uh, I did see during the election of 2016 was, you know, the, the Hillary thing, I'm with her, with the arrow, yeah. except it was I'm with Herb, <laughs> <laughs> with a picture of Herb Tarlick, who, who, um, who Frank Bonner was a director. I mean, he, he, oh, yeah, he's yeah. directed tons and tons and tons of, of sitcoms and, and stuff in Hollywood, so... You know, behind a camera. Well, I haven't seen him in front of the camera at all, but behind a camera that he's been around. Yeah, I saw him do a few guest shots in the 80s, like a murder she wrote, and that was about it. And the love boat. And the love, the love boat. Oh, my God. Go, go back and watch those. I'm trying to get my wife to do a podcast with me where we watch old love boat episodes because she's so hilarious when we watch them. And it's just crazy the stuff they got away with back then. And anybody African-American shows up on the ship, they know Isaac. That's it. It's, it's, uh, you're like, oh, my, how did they get away with that? I did, I did always love his character because he was like that classic, like, sign of the times. You could say whatever you wanted to anybody. Yeah, yeah. No repercussions of, you know, how dirty you spoke to a woman. Or yeah, ex- yeah, exactly. You could just. Oh, and everybody was in love after a week and yeah, got yeah. off the boat to get married. And yeah. yeah, yeah, I think everybody from KRP eventually turned up on the love boat. It has to just about anybody from that era. It was it was it was a genius formula for for ABC. It's not now. I guess they show up on Dancing with the Stars. I don't. <laughs> yeah, that's that's where it was like jury duty <laughs> yeah, for yeah. for things. Uh, um, the the MeTV thing I wanted to mention real quick because I was under the impression. That when they got the rights, I'm like, oh, these are the chopped up ones because of the music rights. But they're not. It's the ones that, it's basically the Shout Factory ones because the music is in them. The Pink Floyd scene is in Turkey's Away that they show. But are you sure? Oh, yes, I, positive. Because okay. I watched it the other day okay. to make okay. sure. Cause I was, the, because the first ones I saw at the beginning when they first started running in April were the were the butchered ones? Were the ones? I taped this one in April. Okay. Yeah, and okay. And, and Pink Floyd, the Pink Floyd. So if, it, if that's the one, it, it it's going to air Sunday the eighteenth at seven thirty p.m. Okay. And then it's going to run Thanksgiving Day in the normal KRP time slot, which is nine thirty, 
uh, Monday through Friday on MeTV, which is channel 5.2 here in Cincinnati. It's channel 7.2 in Dayton because it's on uh, WHIO, and it's on MeTV Coast to Coast. I but, that Dayton's a big market for them. Is it really? It, they, uh, they claim that, or yeah. WHO claims that they're the number one affiliate. They, they have, like, the biggest share of any. I know when they added MeTV here at 5, uh, they immediately got enough traction to, to that it, that Nielsen would list it in the local ratings that they immediately got. And I don't know what show it was that did it for them, but, the, you know, they've had MASH. And, um, they don't have all of them, though. They only have, like, about 100. Do they? Yeah, because yeah. I, I, the same ones keep turning up over and oh. over again. I never see, like, my favorites. Uh, Supply Line, they never show that one. Uh, but, yeah, they're, I think they're missing quite a, quite a few. I just was in, the, in this Christmas list that I'm making for uh, that's going to be posted at WVXU on Sunday, the 25th of November. I've got all the Christmas MASH episodes, the uh, Hawkeye's letter to his dad, um, Father McKay's letter to his sister, the Winchester's Christmas tradition, the day after Christmas when they switch jobs. And there's another one where Hawkeye plays Santa. Yeah. And rescues somebody in a Santa suit. He gets called out and has to come out of a helicopter. But I I haven't seen the aftermash Christmas show. (laughs) (laughs) Man. Explain what Shout Factory is. Is that just a production company? It's a record label. It's a record label. Okay. Yeah. And they specialize in, they started out specializing in uh, music re-releases and then they moved into video. It's kind of like Rhino. Okay. Yeah, so they re-release a lot of... Because I'm looking at their website, and it's like, it's such a crazy mix of it products It is a lot of... They did here. the uh, Second City set, which I have, which I recommended. And... Um, All in the Family. Yeah. Very and it's funny, some videos, Airwolf. And they do a good job. They get try to, like they did with KRP, they try to go back and, you know, restore them and, you know, put back <laughs> and, any missing... Have they bits. attempted that with KRP to try to... to Upgrade the no, video no, quality the, 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 of it. There was a four, all four seasons in a in a set that came out in the fall of 2014 that had more than a hundred artists, and and so it's it, I think it's probably about 85 percent of the original music is in it. In, in the copy I got, I didn't have the the dog scene is in, but they took out three lines, which is when Arthur Carlson says, "Yeah." The, yeah, that's good. What's the name of that orchestra? And Fever says, Pink Floyd. And Carlson said, oh, is that Pink Floyd? It, he does say, do you hear the dog barking thing? But the actual mention of Pink Floyd wasn't in the, the Shout Factory. Huh, it's on the MeTV one. <clears throat> is it? Okay. Yeah, I just watched it to do, my, great. to do my blog post. Yeah, so I was pleasantly surprised. Oh, the other thing, about, it seems that that's really like, thinking back, that's really like the first episode of a TV show that I can remember, apart from Charlie Brown, that honors Thanksgiving. And then for a while, we don't have any. And then Roseanne picks up the ball, and she, every season they did one. Friends does one, everyone except for season two. Uh, Thanksgiving suddenly became a popular topic for uh, sitcoms. And all, all the Thanksgiving friends are going to run. God, I've got that in my list, too. Oh, but, good. Uh, it's, either, <laughs> it's either Sunday the 23rd or Christmas Eve the 24th, where they've like a whole day of friends and of course, a couple of Seinfelds, including Festivus. Oh, okay. And uh, <laughs> which is still one of my a Festivus for the rest of us. Yeah, that's classic. Yeah. So yeah. So if you kids are listening to this in 2019, it'll probably still be around the same time before Thanksgiving. Go to wvxu.org 
And because uh, you're you're doing the you do the list every year still. I've done it every year. I I, I started at PXU in 2015 after because I left at Christmas of 2014. I really thought that would be the last time I had to do this thing. <laughs> and uh, so I've done it 2015, 16, 17, and I've got it right now. It's like a 24 page Word document that uh, I'll go through and take out. You know, there's only so many times you can have jingle all the way or <laughs> or uh, Griswold. I mean a National Lampoon Christmas. Oh, you can always have that one. <laughs> um, I, like I said, for for, for uh, certain members of the family, there's all the new Hallmark films yep. are, are in yeah. it. Yeah. A couple of years ago, there's a channel. There's a channel. <laughs> I, I laugh because they do like it's a comical how many there are, not just how oh, yeah, bad yeah. they are, but they're yeah. like. But we could do a whole like separate a another one. show on on all the Christmas Carol versions, including the Flintstones, uh, Yogi Bear. Uh, uh, that, the, the, by the way, us? a KRP episode I do not stand is, uh, is the Christmas one because it's surprisingly derivative considering how great the show was. Uh, That's where big, he, uh, big guy is Scrooge. Big guy is Scrooge. Yeah, Scrooge and I'm like, it, oh, uh, we're doing this? Yeah. Okay. And I was 12 when I thought that. So you can imagine. I'm like, what a letdown. <laughs> no, but I, I, at one point, I, at the, and I, I don't think I have it in my files, of all the different versions that ripped off uh, Dickens for... A Christmas Carol, but there was like Bugs Bunny and yeah, and uh, uh, the Flintstones and Yogi Bear and just uh, of course Mickey Mouse and just it, it was it, the list goes on and on. That uh, and all the ones that if it's not a Christmas Carol, it's oh wait that one guy's the one actor's playing Santa Claus, but then all of a sudden he comes in from the other room. Wait a minute, that couldn't have been hit. Was that the real Santa Claus? That's another trope yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that turns up that, a lot. That goes back to I Love Lucy in what fifty two because that's the where they're all dressed as yeah. as Santas. Yeah, yeah. And then Santa comes in, and you know that's still uh, uh, a classic. Yeah. Although it's color, it's not bad color. I I I haven't mind the colorized shows of Dick Van Dyke. Or Lucy that CBS has done, but I, I always said that where I draw and, and Casablanca is okay, but I draw the oh, line. No. <laughs> I draw the line at colorizing a Marx Brothers film because I wouldn't want to see Harpo's shirts or, <laughs> or Chico's shirts or their ties. I just because it, you know they're all wearing bad check stuff, and uh, so I'm glad that Ted Turner didn't get around to colorizing any of the any of the Marx Brothers films. I'm not sure I can do Casablanca colorized either, though. I'm so used to it black and white. <laughs> it would look weird. The Wizard of Oz is a great... I mean, that was, a, <laughs> that was fantastic. You know, I was looking through uh, research of clips about the early days of television and, and the, the advent of color in the 1950s, late 50s. And there was a story in the Cincinnati Post, but it wasn't. it was a wire story, that said, color TV is coming. And it will be on your same TV set, but on a different channel. <laughs> we made a shirt based on the story yeah, you told color, last time. Color Town USA. Color Town USA. Yeah. Yes. You want to for people that haven't listened to that? Could, uh, Is a shirt still available? Yeah, you can get uh, it on, uh, online. Cincyshirts.com, yeah. everybody. Yes. Yes. Uh, you want to briefly? No. Uh, that one? There was Crosley Television, which at that point I think was owned by Avco. Actually, was so aggressive in in technology and color. I mean, they were able to, they, uh, when they got the first color cameras, I think it was in 57, it was the Ruth Lyons show, which was hugely popular. And then after that, they did um, the Paul Dixon show and Midwestern Hayride, all their local shows that were in color, whereas the many of the network shows were still in black and white. And NBC's heavily pushing color. And then they, they 
um, did started doing the reds, I think in 60 in color and, and needed low light color cameras because the uh, lighting at Crosley field, you know, wasn't, it was didn't glow like a, a ball field would today. And in 61 or 62, Cincinnati was dubbed Color Town USA because there were more color TV sets per capita in Cincinnati than any other market because there was such a push for color by Crosley Broadcasting and Channel 5, and their shows were so hugely popular that people went out and bought color TVs. And you talk about Ruth Lyons and, you know, some of those some of those shows that were filmed here, you think they'll we'll ever get back to a place where those type of shows could work? Because that's always kind of been my dream, is to have like a a localized talk show. And I tried to, I shot one a, a pilot called a seat at the table, where uh, I sat down to dinner with Marty Brenneman and Tom Browning and Mo Egger, and we just talked baseball over dinner. And I thought it came out really well, and people seemed to really like it. And I just feel like they're. You know, I think Cincy Shirts is a prime example of how big uh, of a thirst there is for local themed content, and this podcast as well. Do you you think there could be that could be on TV I, I've again? Se- I've seen many attempts at it. I guess the most recent one was about five or six years ago. Dean Masuccio, who was the morning guy on Warm, tried to do it. That. Tried to do it at Force Fair Mall, and then, and then at, at Newport, New, on the Newport on the Levee. Oh yeah, yeah. Back in the late '80s, with Randy. Uh, uh, I can't remember. Uh, I'm blanking on her name right now, but she was another local they, radio they, they, morning they, person. They, for a they, long they've time. tried it with different ways. In the late, actually, in the in the late '80s, they tried one live from the atrium of the of the Western Hotel with Pat Berry and Tori Atali Hamill before she left five and went on to CNN headline. Um, and, and to do that live every day to, to the cameras, the engineers, the production people, the people booking interviews, everything, it was just prohibitively expensive. Even the D- Dean Masuccio, I forget what that show was called. It was, it was, it was once a week over in over there, yeah. um, and they just they couldn't build up enough momentum to get the an audience to get. The, the other thing is, and why Dixon and Braun and and all these shows failed is or were canceled is because it was so much cheaper to go buy the Ellen DeGeneres show or buy, you know, the Harry Connick Jr. show. I mean, you know, they didn't with particularly like with Braun. If you got a band, you got to pay music rights, and you got, you know, you got musicians, and you got, you know, it's just. I'd like to see it happen, but I haven't haven't seen how they could do it yet. Well, nineteen and I guess twelve slash sixty four, after the breakfast news, they run their after news shows, right, and those yeah. went up until eleven o'clock in the morning, and those seem to be doing okay. Cincinnati, Cincinnati, that's right, that's yeah, it. yeah, that's it. Because I remember I went, I live in Fairfield and went up to a couple of the tapings in the space he had at, at the old Forest Fair Mall. Yeah, I filmed some stuff. Uh, Randy Douglas. Randy Douglas. Is the right. name I was trying to think of. And Amanda Orlando was part of it. Phil Brown. Tony Clark from Blessed it, Union of Souls. I think it ran on Saturday nights or something? Or Well, they taped a mess of them. And, and, and there was a, a one time, I'm try, was it on 19? It was on one of the channels that, that they, 
that they needed to fill a week of time between. It was like Star sixty four in the morning. It was something where they they their their there's, syndicated there's show wasn't show. ready until later, yeah. so they ran a week of them. But the, the the production quality was a little shaky, and and that you know that you know a bad first impression. They couldn't get past it. Yeah, I did the on the first episode. I did a segment on how to carve a Thanksgiving turkey. Oh, where relevant I <laughs> with what? Um, <laughs> just how to do it, you know? Because I've uh, I've I've had this pilot idea for a while called Josh of All Trades, where it's basically talking about how you know my generation can't do anything for themselves, whereas my dad's generation he, you know, he he was a machinist at Kenner Toys, but he could also be a plumber or a carpenter or whatever, you know, enough uh, enough of one around the house to fix things, whereas. I just, who do I call to come fix this for me? So the premise of the show is that I would go out and try to learn all of the things that every man my age should know how to do, but most of us don't. And so um, I had shared that with Dean when he approached me about having a part on the show. And I said, you know, maybe we could just start it as a segment. And I said, you know, I'm new, newly married guy. And, uh, you know, I don't know how to carve a turkey. That's something my dad always did. So I went to the learning kitchen in Westchester and, and had Jen uh, teach me the proper way to carve a Thanksgiving turkey. The show didn't last long enough to do any more segments. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's, it sounds like something for the DIY or the HGTV. HGTV, HGTV yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, they're mixed <laughs> up with it's script alone, is that right? Uh, and DIY, I believe. Yeah, I think they spun off some of that to a separate company, but oh, okay. uh, um, I can't do it off the top. I have to Google it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I've um, the good folks at uh, Barking Fish are friends of mine, and I've talked to them on numerous occasions about a way to sh- to shoot the pilot for that here. So it's not dead yet. It's still something I'd obviously really enjoy doing. As for a, an entertainment type, I, I always thought that there could be a room for a. A, a Saturday, seven to seven thirty, seven thirty to eight kind of show that would be, you know, it could be some movie reviews. It could be, it, or or it could also be, as the artists come through Riverbend, if you exactly get, it, if you'd that's get exactly what I was seven, seven or eight minutes with whomever, and even if it's after the concert, I mean, obviously they'd want you to do it before the concert as opposed to after to drive some ticket sales, but they just have some star power that way. That's or whether you or you got it. the people in town filming movies all the yeah, time yeah. now, or if you you know or if, again it's a budget. Then if you could catch the action, is there in Indianapolis so you'd have them in the can when they came through here, or whatever. Just, there's a, there's enough star power coming through here that I would think you could you could do it for the summer. Um, and I was I heard it, you know this was a long time ago, but I always was told you know that. Even late at night, you know, like that segment of time, like right when Saturday Night Live goes off the air at 1 a.m. on Saturday, that 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 slot is usually pretty cheap. And and my whole philosophy on it is, you know, this day and age, like you're you don't need people to watch it in real time when it airs. You just need to have the content online yeah. for it to be shared after the fact. I mean, I couldn't tell you the last time I watched snl or even a late night talk show live because i know if anything significant or entertaining or controversial is going to happen it was going to be all over facebook and twitter the next day 
And, and God, I, what did I just read this? Was it today, yesterday, somewhere that about millennials, you know, rarely are watching things uh, over the air TV yeah. or anything broadcast or anything broadcast in real time, that, that they're watching it on their tablet, on their phone, mobile device or whatever at their leisure, um, you know, and, the, and, and the, the question is how that affects advertising and show production Sure. for... I was one of the most fascinating. This guy just retired as the head of marketing for CBS, David Poltrack. But he was talking about one time, we were talking about Blue Sky, the future of TV. He says, you know, if you could watch Seinfeld and you, and you see Jerry in a sweater and you really liked it, and you could click on the sweater in real time TV, which would take you to the site of the manufacturer that could also, you could order it while you're watching. And, and you know, talked about how the whole, you know, that could change the advertising paradigm of, of, you know, you don't have all these blocks of commercials interrupting. But my wife will complain. It's, God, there's all these commercials. I said, Sue, that's why they call it commercial television. Yeah. You, know, you know, you're not, you know, if you've got an antenna, you're not paying a, a dime. If you've got one of the many services you're paying. Yeah, Netflix you know, or Hulu yeah, or something. Yeah. Or, you know, since it had Bell or uh, Time Warner or Dish or whatever, but you know if you've got a, just an antenna up on the roof, it's paid for by those commercials. But I'm not sure who's watching them because most of the people I know will, even when the show comes on, they want to watch. They hit pause. They leave the room for ten yeah. minutes. They come back and they can. But you know through. what? Directv now. Um, I know for the like, I think it was the Goldberg something that we had DVR'd. In real time, we weren't watching it on demand. We had DVR'd it. It wouldn't let you fast forward through the commercials. I knew that it was. I knew that when I used to have Time Warner, it was a start over thing. When you were yeah. you hit start over, you couldn't fast forward. Then you had to watch all the content. So hmm. I, I don't know. It's 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 kind of amazing, isn't it? That that you know when we were growing up, you know, TV was free and over the air, and 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 you'd watch it. And there were three and, stations. And, and now, <laughs> yeah, to, now to really watch TV, you you need to either have Wi-Fi or, a, in some way, a cord or something. You just can't you know do it over the air. Uh, you 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 listen to radio for an interview, but now for a podcast, you've got to have you know Wi-Fi or whatever. It's 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 a, just a it's totally on its head from from the world I grew up in, and even the world you you know three TV stations plus. I remember when, yeah I remember when. Channel 19 became a channel, and it was like, what? Like, we have three, you guys. Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> and, and even in the early days of, of Fox in, because most of theirs were UHF, you know, high up the dial, I remember the, the people at NBC derisively calling them the coat hanger network. Yeah. Because you had to have... A, a bent coat hanger or a, and some sort of antenna to get, to get their programming. <laughs> yeah, and it was just Sunday nights was the first thing they started, or was yeah, it? Yeah. And then they moved it Thursday. I think they did or... Sunday, and then they might have do Sunday and Saturday. I mean, they had some awful shows. Mr. Yeah. President and Women in Prison. And just Herman's the, Head. Herman's Head. <laughs> I remember Herman's Head. I feel like Married with Children was uh, one of the... Yeah, right. That was probably the breakout show, yeah. That... yeah I, you know, and... and Simpsons. And, and, and Fox 19... Later. Was one of the, the the strongest rated Fox independent uh, Fox stations early on because I remember God this was probably late mid mid to late eighties they brought through town 
David Garrison and, and who's the the star of Married with Children? Ed O'Neill. Mm-hmm. Uh, I interviewed him at the uh, Holiday Inn Eastgate when they did a, a promotional lunch where they had come through. <laughs> you know, wow. Ed, Ed O'Neill from uh, from Youngstown, Ohio. But yep. the, 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 I was out when they're still flying stars out to different markets. But they came here because, and, and whenever I'd be on the press tour. Uh, the Fox people would greet me with open arms like I was a long-lost relative <laughs> because if I wrote anything about him, it was such a strong mar- – Cincinnati was such a strong market for him. There's a lot of power to hold. <laughs> and, uh, I, just, I was just telling stories. But they, they but it, it was helpful in that if I really needed somebody, mm-hmm. you know, needed a Gary Shandling for the Gary Shandling show or something. Oh, man. Uh, or – um, um, of uh, 24, uh, was it Kiefer Sutherland? I got him on the phone only because it was it was a big deal, you know. That he, I, you know, I wasn't a top ten market, but I was in one of the top ten for the the way Fox looked at the world. So that was nice. Um, one of the things we talked about with Rich Wahlberg when he was here is working in media in a position where you have an opinion, knowing that. There's, if it's a, a local show that you're reviewing or something of that nature, there's a good chance you're going to cross paths and be eye to eye with them. Well, was there any memories for you of like somebody that you didn't give a favorable review for that confronted you personally, or you know, did, you, does no, that, the, did the, that ever go into your well, mind when you wrote it? Um, no, I mean, there's one of the first things I wrote back when I became TV critic in '85 was. Um, that was when Jerry Springer and Norma Rashid were anchoring on Channel 5, oh, but yeah. they were in third place. But but they were doing a lot of things right. And I wrote something saying, you know, this is a station to watch. And I was at, at an event, and a, and a person from Channel 12 uh, came up, and I introduced myself. And the person looked at me and says, oh, you're that guy that likes Channel 5. And turned around and walked away. <laughs> but, you know, I figured if I'm not doing my job right, you know, somebody's always mad at me about something. So, as you know, it's it happened. But nothing yeah. to uh, yeah. people understood what your job was. No, the the, 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 the most bizarre thing was, um, okay, I'm going to go blank. Is it? Who, who's, who, Will, Will, what's his name? Will Wheaton. Yeah. Will Wheaton was on Star Trek. Right? Yeah. Yep. Star Trek was on Fox 19, right? Yep. So the, Will Wheaton came in for a publicity tour. And I met him at the old... Channel 19, which is out on Taconic Terrace, out in Woodlawn, which is kind of like an old warehouse kind of building that they're in. And I, I'm to interview him in their kind of like conference room. And he spent the whole time with his back to me, doodling with chalk on the chalkboard. And the PR person in the station looked in and left. And she apparently went down and I was like, I can't believe it. He's not even looking at the guy. <laughs> He's just drawn on the blackboard. And so... It was it was a, an interview with only like three and four word responses. It was you know he was just bored and didn't want to do it. How so I had a, I had a choice to make. I could you know it's kind of like the the jerky character he does play on on uh, Big Bang Theory of all things. Yeah. But but uh, so I had the choice to make. You know, do I write a column and just rip him or just ignore him? And I I didn't. I never wrote it. I, I only tell the story today. You know, thirty years later, I just it just it was. You know, yeah, it was insulting. It was a waste of my time. But I thought, who, you know, who cares? You know, I and it, it's part of my training as a journalist. It's not about me, you know. But so the the biggest thing I do is promote his career and his show, and he didn't get a word out of me. So, 
Um, so we ask our guests, I don't know if you remember this or not, yep. we ask our guests to give us a word that uh, people can use as a coupon uh, until the next episode comes out. Uh-huh. So uh, appropriate for this episode. Well, I think I'm going to, in my head, I know what word he's going to pick, uh, but... What word would you think would be the most appropriate I, I, for this episode? Since, since God is my witness is too long, uh, then yeah. I'd go with turkeys. Turkey. turkey. That's what I was going to say. All right. It's going to be tur- turkeys. Turkeys. Plural. Plural. As an oh my God, both. turkeys. Okay. You can do, do both. both. Okay. That's fine. So right. turkey, sort of. turkeys, type it in online until the next episode comes out. You'll save 20% of your order or at any of our three stores over the Rhine, Hyde Park, or Loveland. Come on in. Tell us about the turkeys. Yeah, so you yeah. just say the word turkeys and you'll yeah. save some money. We'll know. Uh, and we'll know what the reference is for. This is so fun. I really need to brush up on my WKRP game because I feel like I would appreciate it so much more now. Well, oh, uh, uh, Sunday night at uh, 7.30 or or Thanksgiving night at 9.30, just set your VCR or whatever or DVR or whatever you got. And uh, that's one I'll, I'll tape only because I want to see if they – if how the uh, the dog thing is done? Because yeah, yeah, I, thought, uh, I was so surprised when I was writing my blog post about the seven thing. I was making ah, there's not going to have this. I was just watching all of a sudden. I'm like, wait a minute, that's because in the cut up version, Carlson peeks in and he closes the door. Yeah. But you know, he he comes in and picks up. The how record. many how, how, is is WKRP a show that people could pick up any episode and enjoy, or is there a lot of references to previous episodes? All oh, you I, have to know lines. is that all you have to know was a. Uh, uh, an, an oldie, not an oldie station, a uh, uh, middle music, of the road. Music, music of your life. Music of your life station. station. And Gary Sandy's character comes in, changes the format to rock and roll. That's all you need to know. And it's a rock he, station from Once you on. see the characters, yeah, you'll know yeah. who, the, who the slimy can, salesman is. Yes. Who the nerdy newsman is. Who the, the, hip, uh, the hip jazz guy at night is. Yeah. Uh, who the program director is who's trying to make, you know, kind of like a, kind of like Fraser- Kind of like even Jack Benny. He's the same person with all these crazies around him. So it's, in that way, it's a formula as old as... Yeah, he's the straight man. But for somebody like me, I mean, I, jump right I, I would probably go back and start watching from the beginning, but I don't have to. No, no you don't have no. to. Okay. No, no. Nope. No. Awesome. There you go. John, thanks for well, this coming this has been great again. fun. Yeah. Great fun. All right. Well, I'm sure we'll do it again. Okay. And next time I'll pick a uh, show that... We're going to talk about a show that I've seen every episode of. <laughs> <laughs> TV columnist John Keyswetter. I know I WKRP, but I still learn some things. So uh, always love talking about WKRP, even if I've said before I'm not from here. Uh, Cincinnati, that is. I'm from Cleveland, but I still stand WKRP. Like I said, mostly because it's a radio show. Could have taken place anywhere. And uh, I love the tea that was spilled about Will Wheaton, didn't you? Wasn't that great? Uh, You can find John at WVXU.org. That's where his media blog appears. And if you haven't already, go back and plunder the Cincy Shirts podcast archives. John was on episode two, I believe. And of course, we've had Frank Marzullo on, uh, Duke Sinatra from the Gary Burbank Show, Mo Egger, Cash Wright, Mike Mathis, Johnny
Sunny Bench. Of course, there's the two Haunted Cincinnati episodes, one and two. Look those up. Abandoned Cincinnati has been very popular as well. Be sure to tell all your friends and loved ones about the show, including folks who may no longer live in the area. Maybe they went to school here or vice versa, and they grew up and moved away and took jobs elsewhere. Uh, today's show is produced by me with help from Josh and Darren. Our theme music is Cincinnati by Big Nothing. They are from Philadelphia. You can find their music on iTunes. You can also find it in Spotify or wherever else you get your music, I would imagine. Find vintage teas from great places like Boston, Phoenix, Pittsburgh, uh, really a lot of uh, cities around the country. We're adding more all the time. We have some uh, radio shirts in there as well from different cities. Uh, radio stations are that are no more, along with you know defunct sports teams and old stores used to shop at and things like that. So do check that out. And in case you missed it, the promo code for this episode is Turkey or Turkeys. We'll do it plural or singular. And uh, you can use that uppercase or lowercase. It doesn't matter. But you can use that to take 20% off your entire CincyShirts.com or OldSchoolShirts.com order. Or you can come in to our physical stores, Cincy Shirts here in Cincinnati, in OTR, Hyde Park, and Loveland, and use it in person. Just say, I want to use the promo code Turkey, and they'll give you 20% off. Follow our social channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat for all the latest Cincy Shirts news. Tell your friends about the show. Give us a good review wherever you get the podcast from. And as always, download or stream us next time. Bye. I said goodbye